0: listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour, so we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenters, it's a dream team really, Ollie Lloyd, founder of Great British Chefs. Hey, how's it going? Good. And Holly Shackleton, editor of Specialty Food Magazine. Hello there. Hello. Hi. We've also got Timo Bold in the um, studio with us of Gusto. Hello, Timo. Hello. Before we come to you, we were uh, chatting in the, you know, the Food Talk office. Um, how long have you been doing this now, Holly? About, it must be a year. Probably oh, more. Yeah. Do you
1: reckon? Yeah. yeah, I
0: reckon so. Autumn last year. A I bit been a presenter, so. Yeah. yeah. So we were chatting in the office and we were saying, we should really talk about Specialty Food magazine. Really? Happy I'll, to, yeah. Because you like trot up every week. <laughs> well, I actually know what you do. Do you, Holly?
2: Well, she normally has good breakfast. That's always. always she does
0: normally. have good breakfast. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, she's very. She's never happier than when she's sort of chomping away, eating stuff that's been brought into the studio. Yeah, well, but that's that's more probably the a glass that, of prosecco. Or it's probably the yeah. sum total I know about Holly actually. Yeah. There's a lot going on, yeah. Mm. So I subscribe to Speciality Food magazine. Very good. In fact, by accident, I think we subscribe twice in an office. We've never cancelled one. But anyway, we only really have two arrive. Um, I still quite like a hard copy of something.
1: I do as well. I, nice it, kind of tangible.
0: Yeah. I, I, I Obviously, I, I love online stuff and I love tech. But there is something about, you know, having a book or, or reading a magazine. So I, I still quite value my magazine that pops through. I'm glad. Uh, it's every month, isn't it?
1: It's There's nine issues
0: a year. Oh, I think I might have been yeah. short-changing. <laughs> okay, so nine issues a year. I, I can't remember how much the um, subscription is. It's not a lot. It's,
1: it's not, not a lot, no.
0: What is it? Oh, you don't know, do 20, you? £20 pounds a year or something? It's not much. You, mm. Less than mm. a kilo of truffles. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Most things are. As we heard last week. Um, so I've, I've got my um, I've got my September issue in front of me because I couldn't find the most up-to-date ones. Um, actually, I have a little column in it, don't I? You do. Yes, you yes. May, you star may, of the show. You, <laughs> You make me write something. (laughs) Um, And um, um, it's normally around, so this one I've got here is about 64 pages. um, And it's specifically for anybody, I would say, who's an independent retailer. Yeah. So that's delis, farm shops, stuff like that. Food halls, yeah. Who who else do you sort of aim it
1: at? So that's our core readership. And we go out to all of the independents across the UK, as well as buyers at the multiple. So kind of buyers at Waitrose, Sainsbury's will read us as well. Um, And also we go out to kind of government offices and just the whole of the food industry, basically anyone interested in the food industry reads us
0: so the good thing for me um and one of the reasons why i like it is yeah there's some great articles in there uh, about the, the the sort of food sector but also um it's a really good source for me of finding out when new products are being launched because people are advertising or, or you're writing about it so is that why the sort of buyers subscribe because it's pretty difficult to keep up to date with with what's new and what's going on yeah
1: i'd say so i mean we um Lots of, obviously, we can't cover literally all of the new launches in the food industry because there are so many. God, I mean, every day. So many. Probably. Um, but we basically, we kind of pick our favourites, the ones that we think are most exciting, um, and as well as kind of um, drawing attention to the fact that they're new on the market. Um, we've got lots of retail advice on there as well. So it's um, how you display it, how you kind of, you know, what the story is behind it, how to train your staff to sell it. Um, as best as possible. Um, so we just cover everything really. Um, mm. So business advice as well, um, lots of talk about trends. You made me write an article about
0: tax once. I did. I don't know I did once. That. You did tell me off for that. <sighs> Never again. <laughs> um, and the circulation is around, what, eight and a half thousand for but, the magazine? Yeah, eight and a half thousand. I know you get loads and loads more on the website. Um, and you've got 19,000 followers on Twitter at the yeah. moment. Did you know that?
1: I did. Hmm. Oh, it's near a,
0: 20, 20, 20 probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's got an, a massive footprint into that sector um, so can you just explain to me how a magazine works so you're an editor so first of all what does an editor <laughs> of anything magazine newspaper do exactly
1: everything <laughs> I'm very tired and busy all the time um, Now I basically I decide I have a look at what's going on in the industry how we want to represent that in the magazine um, make sure that it's always a commercial model um, so I'm not treading on the toes of the advertising team, um, coming up with campaigns with them. Um,
0: so so when you say treading on the toes of, of the, you know, the sort of advertising team, there's a big thing, isn't there, when you're uh, sort of in PR or a journalist and all that sort of stuff is that the advertising and the editorial are separate. There's a really big issue about that, because Mm. otherwise what happens is people say, well, you would write about them because they're paying to advertise. Um, And and therefore, I think the writers uh, actually pride themselves, don't they, on being independent and being separate from advertising, because you can't be seen to just be writing about whoever's spending money with you.
1: No, and also, (laughs) I think, as a company, um, as a magazine, and just as an individual, it's so important to us that, you know... I and the editorial team are known to only write what we genuinely like about. We so we can't be completely independent. We can't be bought. Um,
0: yeah. And the same with Great British Chefs, um, Ollie. Well, I mean, you, I mean, this is a hot topic. It's a really difficult one it's a hot because topic you've got you've got you can't survive without the advertising revenue mm-hmm. because people are not going to pay ten pounds per issue, which is probably what it would be if you didn't have advertising revenue. Um, and it's the same with Great British Chefs. You, you're not going to survive without advertising. And yet you want to get some really independent information advice to whoever goes on it. How how do you juggle it? I think
2: the interesting thing is this is is probably one of the frontiers of of debate at the moment on on where where content and brands play. So there's been a lot of talk at the moment, for example, about influencers and how, you know, what's an ad, what's not an ad, how are their, you know, reputation, what's authenticity, what's not authenticity. The Telegraph is certainly probably the guys who push the boat the furthest, I would say. What do you you mean by that? Blurring the boundaries between editorial and advertising. The Guardian will be much more about the division between church and state, so they're very black and white on this. And yet, if you look at Guardian Labs, which is sort of one of the, beasts of creative content creation in the UK, certainly, they are absolutely creating content for brands. But the trick is to create interesting content mm. for brands. So, so
0: explain what you mean by content for brands. So say I, say I I don't know, make pickle or something, Branston Pickle. So, uh, what, so, what does I that mean? mean? So,
2: as you know, I ran brands at Unilever and have worked with loads and loads of brands. And I suppose the, the challenge for a brand is to tell its story in a way that is engaging and motivating. And often just shouting your three-line message at people is not necessarily very interesting. So the trick is, how do you create engaging stuff that people want to read that ultimately then delivers engagement from a consumer perspective? And a lot of different brands are playing this game. People are producing podcasts like the one we do. People are creating videos that's really that shows, for example, recipe videos are very popular in this area where you're showing how you use an ingredient in order to make something. But it goes much more broadly than that. You'll see stuff around, for example, financial independence and how to manage money, which will be in lots of papers and might be backed by a large bank, for example. Yeah. So, And then you go further than that where you will have organizations that will be doing things that are, I would say, almost philanthropic or social in their agenda, but tied to their Broader corporate mission, and therefore, are producing stuff that help people do stuff. So, I mean, a lot of the sort of purpose-led brands play in that space, and in those cases, they will go to publishers, whether that's Hearst, Time Inc, The Guardian, The Telegraph, and get those guys to produce content that aligns with their mission.
0: A lot of people who um, read things or go on the website or whatever, look at newspapers, maybe the BBC. They don't realise that's all going on underneath, do they? Really, they think people are totally independent. But- you can't quite be totally independent because you need content don't you holly you need stories so so yeah. where do you get your stories from you get your stories from the brands or, or, or yeah. something.
1: yeah and if someone's doing something that's genuinely interesting in the industry then we'll cover it regardless of they're if they're advertising or not because we need to inform um, the people that are reading the mag, and yeah, just exactly. because someone isn't advertising, it doesn't mean they don't exist in the industry. It doesn't mean they're kind of helping to form what's going on.
0: But as an editor, that's quite hard. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to find your way through that, yeah. haven't you? And there's and a that's lot your of job, isn't it? Yeah. I guess.
1: And I would say that 19, well, 100 of any press releases or anything we receive, we're always rewording it and reworking it to make it work for us. Um, I have to say that not all publications do that. Some literally just kind of print it word for mm. word as it is. But it's so important to me that it is as useful as possible to our readership.
2: So, so and th- online's worse at that. I mean, I think mm. you know one of the differences is that an, a press release will come in, and a, I'll call them a lazy editor will just. Copy and paste, upload, done.
0: And on one level, or a highly pressurized editor, yeah, because they haven't got any money, they've got no staff, and and actually they just literally print what somebody sends them. And let's
2: be clear: a lot of publications have gone to the wire. The power of Facebook, the power of Google, the power of Pinterest, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, TikTok—you name them—they've got so much data and so much presence that ultimately they have driven the value out of the advertising market, and therefore it's hard. It's a hard industry.
0: So the other side of... um, So somebody might send you a press release. Mm. I mean, how many would you get a week? Oh, God. Hundreds and hundreds. Hundreds hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. Um, And uh, somebody might send you a press release. That's one way of of telling your story. But then others are are quite creative and quite funny about maybe getting their products, you know, on the news agenda. So one that springs to mind for me was when Heinz said they were going to rename Salad Cream. Was it sandwich cream? Did they do that? Do you remember that? And, and, and so that's quite funny. And, and I bet they never intended to do that ever, <laughs> guessing. Um, but it, it created debate about it and whether it should be used in sandwiches or was it only sandwiches. And I mean, that's a pretty clever way to get in front yeah. of editors, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. And then something like that, what I would do is I'd kind of read around it and what does that mean about the industry and what does that represent and get some opinion on that as well. Like, I'd, I'd never include just a straight someone's doing something interesting let's give yeah. it a full page you know that it
0: always has to be as useful as possible and how do you decide that with great british chefs um ollie because you'll get sent loads of stuff and there'll be loads of different recipes for example you know and some of these brands are creating recipes which are great recipes that deserve to be seen but but how do you
2: feel we them we re- developed a very weird model on that which was we said we didn't we've, we've literally never published a press release we have no interest in press release. We don't get right. them. We just don't get stuff because we just don't play that game. Right. We do do deep brand relationships. So we'd work with, say, Vitality or Norwegian Seafood or Irish Beef or Fever Tree to create content that inspires people to think about those brands.
0: So you'd work in partnership with it's them only and say, partnership. And this just, is how it works and it's, it's, in our world. Yeah.
2: Uh, w- we, what can you help us with? There are things we, so when we do things for money, we do them for money. We do them not for money. We do not touch it. So, we literally have no interest in press releases. Right,
0: interesting.
2: Which is, which is, which is a very militant model. Yep. But look, I'm a brand guy, so my whole background is sort of, you know, I know the way the press release market works and the rest of it. And so, really, I work, you know, when I ran Great Blue Chefs, we worked with the brands I wanted to work with and we didn't work with anyone else. Yep. And actually, what that allowed us to do is to make a, had a very hard model, which is the editorial team will cover whatever they like but then there's stuff we do that's absolutely branded and in partnership and it's very clearly flagged as mm. here is key. So it's lee obvious and you can key see it. Yeah. It will show you how to use lee kum yeah. key in a creative way.
0: Mm. Now the other part of the of the magazine the website holly is you've got you've got staff writers i presume who are, who are, who are delivering content <coughs> which are, you're looking at but you also have some guest um, columnists don't you so I so, have. so how do you manage that Um, in terms of you know telling them do you tell them what to write or do you just say I've got this number of words this month make sure you send this by that date how do you
1: I actually give them absolute free reign because I'm conscious that I'm sat behind my desk or you know travelling around for whatever reason I kind of I have my finger on the pulse but I if they're kind of sat down focused on one particular thing and you know they have that particular passion for that month I'm not going to be the authority on that they are so they can... But what happens if it's rubbish? If it's rubbish I send it back. You do? Yeah. You have to, I am, you I have am to, actually you? quite tough. Have you, said you one have I don't back? you? I haven't yet, okay. yet. Just,
2: just checking Did you that? You I enjoyed that Blimey. I'm glad I'm sitting between the two of you I, if, if, I, if it's frosty one week I can know that's the week the Holly sent back an article to went Thanks. rubbish, your tax information is
0: incorrect <laughs> right. To be honest, I just normally write it on the train on the way home <laughs> You shouldn't be telling me that <laughs> okay. You've got your deadline Oh my god, yeah. I've got 800 it's, words it's, to do by tomorrow It's a boomerang um, next time Yeah, um, You've got some great columnists though, haven't you? Uh, who are writing for you? I do. I. You've got a particular favourite, I know. A I soft spot. They're all. It's you. No, <laughs> you know that's not true. <laughs>
1: um, well, I have. Um, so John Shepherd of Partridges and Charles Campion, the amazing Charles Campion. They've been writing for me for a good few years now, um, and I think they're absolutely brilliant. Um, so Charles, um, he always produces a very, very engaging and amusing column. Um, I just he's brilliant I love the way that he writes um, whereas uh, John Shepherd also writes brilliantly obviously otherwise I wouldn't publish it but he has such insight into the the retail industry and the fine food industry so I always know that there's going to be amazing stats in there and yeah. I think with partridges obviously it's kind of it's quite a specialist retailer it's very fine food the queen shops there but it is quite a good barometer. Oh, so,
2: can I coach you? People shop there for the Queen.
1: People, <laughs> yes. No, she pops in with her bag and mask on. So people. I think
2: don't. I think she's online only now. <laughs>
0: Probably, yeah. She brings corgis with her. Yes, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> of course she does. Of course she does. So, um, so you get all of these these things that come in. I mean, there's there's literally hundreds or so of of, of little tiny. You know, um, articles, some are, you know, full page, some are all sorts of things. So, you, you as an editor will get all those things. Mm-hmm. How do you know? How, how, how does that all then become a magazine? I mean, you've got to get the photography. Um, yeah, how do you, how do you, and you've got a deadline every month that you we cannot do. miss. We it really must be quite pressurised. It towards is pressurised. Yeah,
1: it's pressurised throughout the month. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, we start off. Each year, actually, with a kind of framework, we know roughly what we're going to be running, um, and then things, in terms of themes, in terms of themes, yeah. in terms of features and things, and we're always going to have the news pages. We're always going to have viewpoint, which is the big kind of um, interview with you know a mm. big name in the industry. So there's always going to be that kind of skeleton of really good content, and then I have a few pages that I can play around with. Um, there's always going to be. I know a couple of features on kind of seasonal products um, or, you know, jams is always going to have a feature. Everyone loves jams. Um, Everyone's going to want to know what the trends are in that. So Mm -hmm. things like that will always cover... Um a kind of update of that kind of thing every year.
0: And and, and the pressure is on, of course, um, to get advertising revenue. So so that, I mean that's quite a tough job, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah, it can be. I mean,
0: I mean you, you guys are established for fifteen years or whatever it is, so yeah. obviously it gets easier. But if you're a new magazine or online thing starting out, it's it's that's really hard if you can even manage it at yeah. all.
1: It must be a real, real challenge um, for the smaller guys. I mean, it's a challenge for us, but we have a brilliant reputation. Um, I think the fact that we have editorial integrity kind of works nice. in our favour as yep. well. Um, and also, um, like Holly and Great British Chefs, we we have really good partnerships um, in the industry as well. So we're hmm. producing, um, so for example, with Speciality Fine Food Fair, the organisers of that. Um, we launched this year, um, in the summer, we did a 20 icons of fine food and drink. Um, where we kind of together, um, we just did surveys, kind of went out on social media, um, spoke to the industry and found the 20 biggest names mm. in food and drink who have influenced more than any others, brought them all together for a bit of a party. <laughs> um, and, yeah, there was some kind of um, some support there as well. Um, we did, in our October issue, we did um, an eight-page report on the organic industry, which was in support with... Um, the European organic show
0: so it's kind of so so you've got to deliver content that people are interested in yeah I mean you can't be self-indulgent about that you've got to really keep you've got to really keep tabs on you know what what do my readers want what's going to keep them engaged what helps them in their business yeah definitely otherwise it's not going to work and and it's the same with you Ollie I know I know you have like a million and a half visitors to your website a month which is outrageous you know but but un- unless the content was really interesting you wouldn't get that you just wouldn't yeah,
2: I think though one of the things that's interesting you'll mention though is that a lot of what I think brands struggle with today is contextual relevance so if you take the, the world of the digital there are more eyeballs more page impressions than any brand will ever need it's just you know and therefore in the end if you want to reach a consumer you can do it very easily. Mm-hmm. But actually the real challenge is reaching the right consumer in the right context. I think what's really interesting about specialty defined food is if you are a brand that is looking to build distribution in the kind of people that Holly is talking about it's an amazing way of reaching those people. The fact is, you can argue that the actual distribution number of readers is very, very small. But the fact is, you only need to influence mm. ten buyers and you've suddenly got a business.
1: It is, it is in terms of readership, it is definitely a niche magazine, but, but it goes out to all to of them.
2: Yeah. It's supposed it's supposed
1: and it, yeah, and it goes out to genuinely goes out to double um the competitor. Um and that's ABC certified as well. So we genuinely yeah. are but, landing on the doorsteps of those people. Um, and they're engaging back with us as well. But
2: I, I, I see the 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 laser targeting of it as being the benefit of it. Mm. You know, BBC Good Food is ten times the size of any other food publication in the UK, but it's a very broad audience—people mm, yeah. who are alive
0: and eating. So just to, to, to explain then, if you're an advertiser, it's like, well, I've got a very niche product here. I could advertise on BBC Good Food, but I don't know who's reading it really. It could be well, a no, grandma, so, it could be a, yeah, a food so, producer, it could be. It could be anybody, so it's quite hard to target. If you've got a blanket huge campaign you want to, do, that's fine. But if you want to get into a farm into farm shops or you you, you know that you go to something more niche, so it's circulation isn't everything. Is it? It's about
1: no, it's who the, who,
0: who who the readers cool. are. Yeah, definitely, yeah.
1: and also um what part editorial plays in that of kind of translating that because there mm-hmm. could be. I don't know, a brand that's sold in supermarket, absolutely huge brand, um, how do they translate what they do to appeal to our readership? Yeah. And, you know, it's part of my job to find a way to, to angle that to our readers.
2: Mm. But just to be fair to BBC Good Food, I mean, the trick with all the digital game that's going on nowadays is that you can slice and dice. So the power of data means that you can say, well, OK, if someone is viewing a vegan recipe and they've come to it on this particular journey, you know certain things about them. Whereas, you know, if you're just, you know, doing what I'll call general run of site Facebook advertising or Google advertising, you have no idea. But the the point of of digital is that you can get very, very, very close to a target audience and, and I think most importantly, test and learn. Mm. And that's what I think part of the game is, which is if you know enough about your audience then you can work out how to reach them more effectively and and more effectively.
0: Mm. Well, thank you for that. I know what you do a bit more now. (laughs) I'll just send my 700 words off well of
1: course there's also the awards
0: we have run the future food awards which we feel quite strongly about don't we so you're very good at um, supporting that Um, and that's about yeah seeing getting profile for people that we think are doing really interesting things don't we groundbreaking things which is what this programme's about I suppose
1: Indeed. so yeah there's the mag and countless other exciting projects on the side as well So, as I say busy and tired
0: (laughs) Well, um, Timo's with us from um, um, Gusto, Um Timo, uh, you're in a very difficult space, which we'll explain what you do in a minute. Did, did, how do you get in front of, of, of um, you know, that audience? Do you, do you invest quite a lot in PR and advertising or is it word of mouth? You've got to get it right because... Otherwise, you don't
3: sell anything. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a it's a it's a great point. Um, I mean, the key is to recognise that 66 million people in the UK eat dinner and lunch every single day. So there's there's an absolutely enormous um, opportunity for us. And for the last 50 years, supermarkets have built a supply chain that, for the next 50 years, is is no longer um, fit for purpose. As uh, you know, food purchasing is moving online. Convenience, sustainability, and health are hugely on the rise. Um, so I think we have a couple of um, you know structural trends that play in our favour. And then our challenge is um, how do we get in front of the right customer uh, almost exclusively using digital content plus PR plus TV advertisement.
0: Hmm. So let's just explain what you do. Um, so um, uh, Gusto um, has been going for 10 years. Have I got that right? Seven years. Seven years. Oh well. um, I know you're committed to sustainability, which, which we'll talk about later. But essentially what you do is you can go onto your website, you can choose a recipe, something that you're going to eat tomorrow night, say. Um, and basically the ingredients needed to make that recipe suddenly appear on your doorstep.
3: Magically. You're do all the heavy lifting. Yeah.
0: So, so as you say, the model of going to a supermarket is, I'm really lucky now because my children have left home, so I can, and I have got the time, which is when your time pressure it's very difficult, I can now go and shop as I Want, you know, as I decide what I'm going to have the next day. Mm. When I had smaller kids, it's like we used to go and do what I call big shop, uh, which means you have to try and predict what you're going to do for the whole week because you don't have time to do, you know, and you get a whole load of stuff home. Such a huge amount of waste involved in that. And you've got to try and predict that, oh, I forgot on Wednesday, none of us are here. And, you know, uh, we don't have to cook dinner then. And, you know, that's a really difficult model. The other thing is if you've got something like a cardo where deliveries come, again that's sort of like a big shop in a way, but that doesn't help you with the cooking, does it? It's just it's just it's just you get your staple stuff in. So presumably what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to order ingredients and then help them create that meal with literally almost no waste. Have I got that right?
3: Absolutely. Um, spot on. I mean, we we've always had this vision of being the most loved way to eat dinner, practically um, we achieved that the way you described it. Um, so it's all about you know personalizing the experience, giving customers exactly what they like. Everyone nowadays is competitively busy, running after toddlers, um, you know, waiting for the bus. Everyone is ordering on their phone. Eighty percent of our revenues are coming from from um, apps. Um, and, and at the same time everyone is interested in health um, it means something very different for you than it does for me yep. so we should never see the same menu um, but ultimately there there's you know, the step changes in how consumers um, feel about food
0: so, so if I was to go on your website and I've, I've downloaded one here um, there's, there's a little section there on 10 minute meals quite like that if you've if got a busy life um, I, trawl, I trawl through stuff and go oh Thai red jumbo prawn curry I really fancy that tomorrow night. Um, so you go on, you order it, it tells you how to cook it, which is great. And then basically what arrives is, this is ingredients for two, but you could order it for four people, six people, whatever it is. So I get I get my, jum- my jumbo king prawns come, I get a teaspoon of dried chilli flakes, I get a lime, I get some steamed brown basmati rice, I've got 80 grams of trimmed fine green beans. I've got a Thai red curry sachet which has been made for me. I've got 15 grams of fried onions and I've got 50 grams of solid coconut cream. So that all arrives. You know what to do, and you cook it. It's great, isn't it? What do you think? I know, I know. I love cooking, so I, you know, but you can imagine if you really well, no, stress out. I mean, the it's interesting a great thing recipe. is that
2: in mean, the research we did back at Great British Chefs, the the overriding group of people who were buying Gusto, Hello Fresh, Mindful Chef, any of the the boxes that are out there. Are people who engage with food because the truth of the matter is, if you're not engaged with food, what you've just described is terrifying.
0: Right?
2: You know how do I? am going to overcook the prawns. I don't know mm. how to eat prawns. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like, what do you mean? I'm using curry paste. What's you know? You haven't cooked with coconut milk. I've never made a curry from scratch. Like, actually, that is, you know, that is essentially the ingredients required to make a curry. Yeah. Right. It's what if you're making curry from scratch at home, you will use. That's exactly what, what you, you would use. Do so, if you had it so in. What that's it isn't is essentially a throw. Bottle of sauce over top of meat. Yeah, you know. So this is this is engaged cooking. I mean, you know, it is not for the culinary literate, as I call them.
0: Yeah, but but what is useful, I think, as well, is it's got nutritional information. Mm. So, you know, how many um, calories per person that's going to be? Fat, you know, carbs, blah blah. blah. Um, You know, it means that you could go onto those websites and say what. I'm, I'm on a diet for a couple of weeks or, or I just want to you know calm down a bit um, I'm going to search ones for the lowest calories and and you know that might help me during the week but i am still got some really delicious stuff I don't have to think about it somebody's yeah, done that work for me
3: completely and I mean um, what what we've worked really hard on is we, we build automation into the system um, early on and we built data science into the personalization so today we offer 40 recipes per week um, the closest competition does 15 uh, 18 recipes so we really push the boundaries around what's possible around vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, a lot more is coming fast so that we can really personalize and customize the experience to your dietary needs. um.
0: And I think the thing is, if you are living on your own, um, you know, uh, I've got your rump steak, chili, miso, ramen in front of me, uh, the, the recipe. It, you know, I will get one carrot delivered. I'll get one egg delivered. I'll get the exact right amount of, of ginger. Well, that's really appealing to me, uh, uh, you know, because there is literally no
3: waste. 40% of all food in the UK is wasted. Yeah. Roughly half of that is in the supply chain. So the supermarkets going to, you know, FMCG and going to halls sellers um, which we've taken out we're on 0.3 percent in the in the factory and supply chain and then theoretically at household level because you get everything in the exact um, uh, portion there shouldn't be any food waste um, either and what, I've always been interested in the older market, you know, not because I present a
2: radio programme with, with older people, but because... J-K. um Excuse Because... Um, about, Don't forget about, I'm about old Holly. enough
0: to be Holly's mum. <laughs>
2: uh, you I know. Are you, are you appealing to that audience? Because actually, if you take, you know, if I go and buy a bag of carrots, I mean, I've got two kids, and, and you know, there are four of us in the household, and, and a tortoise, actually, that we'll get through that, right? But actually, the tortoise doesn't eat the carrots, but be will eat the kale. Um... You know, actually, for a person who's living by themselves, a bag of carrots is a lot of carrots. I mean, are you finding you're resonating
3: with that slightly older?
0: And that's not necessarily cash, it's just a bloody waste. No, it's a complete (laughs) waste. I mean, and
2: you can't get through the carrots
3: at the speed you need to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think the sweet spot is kind of 35 to 55 years old female outside of London, not inside of London. I mean, our meals are from 289, including free delivery across all of the UK. All the meat is from farms in the UK. So it's really, really good value. Um, 289 per person? Per person, yes. So
0: how do you make that work financially, your business model?
3: Well, we, uh, we work really hard. Um, we It's have, volume, pure volume. Yeah, it's volume. We're selling, you know, we're extremely fortunate. We are the largest in our um, industry. We're now doing 2.5 million per month. Um, so what, what is that, like seventy, eighty thousand 80,000 meals per day. Um, now wow. you have to picture... 2.8 million meals a month. Yeah. Wow. So, so that means there's quite a big fulfilment centre in Lincolnshire, mm. um the UK's bread basket, um, and, and quite a lot of meals going across the UK.
0: Is this the future, Ollie? Do you think? You, you, you know, because Timo started off by saying that the supermarket model's a bit broken. I mean, how are they going to compete? How are supermarkets going to compete if this is begins to be the way that we that, that, that you might order the majority of your food, not all of your food, well, the, but the majority the, of your food? The
2: interesting argument is, what's a supermarket? You know, Nicardo mm-hmm. questioned that because they're a data business. Um, is Tesco's a land bank or a supermarket? I mean, you know, it. I think what's really interesting is there's no question that we're all going to begin to get our food in different ways. But I mm-hmm. think there's a, the solution for London will be, and Birmingham and Manchester will be different from the su- solution for the Scottish Borders, for example. So I don't think there's what you know. Look, we, we've I mean, we haven't had a full conversation about Huel, which is my least favorite product in the market, um, which is just a a milkshake that you just drink and gives you the nutritional value that you want, you know, that would appeal to a completely different audience to what Gusto will be appealing to. So I think, I don't think there's one solution, but I certainly think if the metrics around this can work, I think it's very interesting. But there are, you know, people like is it Blue Apron in the US who really struggled with the economics around it and
3: do they go bankrupt? I forget. They no. I mean, they're profitable. Um, they not profitable? But there were some. But we would have to get into detail. I think there yeah. are a couple of specific reasons why yeah. they are rightfully in trouble. Yeah. Um, so the offering is quite different in yeah. the UK.
2: But it, but it's, these these are difficult. I mean, you know, you know, you're 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 setting up a massive supply chain, and you know, it's a race. It's a race to scale, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean we employ 500 people today. We are um which you know we're hiring another 700 people in the next 30 months. Um, wow. we've raised 100 million pounds. So it is a quite large opportunity. Again, 66 million. And How many million. markets are you in now? Only the UK and we have no plans to go outside. Um recognizing how massive this is if there's 66 million people eating dinner and lunch every single day, right? It's 120 million meals per day. Gusto is selling 2.5 million per month. We're scratching the surface. We're 0.0 something percent. Um, we're absolutely tiny. Um, and to really, really, I mean, the weird, the, the weird um, thing is, is that the larger you get, the more you can localize and personalize mm. this. Yeah. That's um, what it has to um, be scaled. yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to make the money. If yeah. you're a tiny startup, you, you can't sell anyone for three pounds a dairy-free meal. But at our size, we now have an amazing vegan offering, which we can personalize and customize for you as a customer. We're not there yet to, to offer kosher and halal. But if we uh, double in size again amazing
0: so if you if you're very well funded and people have invested in, in, in you in such a, a big degree um, if you are sort of first to market and you've got that scale it's going to be really hard for somebody else to assail that position and I presumably from an investment point of view that's what you're trying to do
3: I mean, I, I don't personally care that much about the competition and not because I'm cocky, but simply because I think, you know, we're taking the really long time horizon. We're trying to build a business for the next 20 years. We're obsessing about the customer. It's all about the customer. And then we're building data and technology capabilities to deliver ever greater experience to the customer. So I think we're building this differently than lots of companies in our space. Um, but but that also means we have taken on a little bit of um, funding. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, but you do describe yourself as a data company.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Gusto, we um, have a big supply chain, we've got automation, we've got amazing chefs who are real magicians, we've got food buyers, um, we've got an amazing PR team, a marketing team, data science team. I think the common denominator is, all of them obsess about the customer all day, and they do it leveraging technology and data. So we feel like the common denominator is is data for the benefit of the customer, really.
0: And that's got to make you've got to be efficient. Otherwise, it isn't going. The company's not going to work, is it? You've got to work out how to be as efficient as possible.
3: Yes. So I
2: think what's also interesting is how you know businesses like yours are also changing the kind of the eating habits of the UK. Because a lot of the things that, that Sue has pulled up are certainly bringing out ingredients and things that people would not necessarily, you know, have cooked, have experienced. And I think what's very interesting is that in in the, in the challenge to get smart, quick, two-person meals, generally, or, you know, slightly bigger, your ability to have it at two, you've actually got to think quite differently from a cooking perspective. And a lot of what I'll call the, sort of the classic British meals of you know, the, sort of the old-school ones, just aren't fit for purpose. It's a much more international spectrum of, of recipes than... Well,
0: there's stuff on the website, to be fair, that's, that's very, very, you know, British traditional. Yep. I, I mean, one that I pulled off uh, last night is Creamy Haddock Linguini. Lovely.
2: Uh, linguine is not... British.
0: No, no, no. But but, uh, but it's a very what I was trying to say is a very simple dish. But yes. you've got shepherd's pie on there, you've got there's all sorts of stuff on yeah. there. Um you But know. but
2: you but you can't for this to work, it's got to go beyond what I you know you know there's always it's been those be rubbish articles yeah. saying we own you know the British only cook six dishes, which yeah. obviously is fundamentally untrue when you get into the foodies of this world. Yeah. But what's interesting here is is that your model wouldn't exist if you only did what I call the British classics. It is about that yeah,
0: sausage and mash and yeah, Yeah, all you that can't, and stuff.
3: yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the ten-minute dishes. We also offer Wagamama recipes, um, which you can literally you know, spend £12 at a Wagamama restaurant um, anywhere in the UK, or you can order it for £3 um, from Gusto and then make it yourself. We offer Joe Wiggs, um, you know, the healthcare influencer. He's got a healthy range on Gusto. Um, he's got a very popular um, or, or massive following, um, especially amongst younger demographics. Um, so, so we're trying to be, you know, slightly clever um, and then deliver novelty across the UK. Funky. Funky. I, I would say we deliver inspiration, <laughs> but sure. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but look, that in the end, the
2: challenge ultimately is that people get bored. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, certainly uh, this is not the case for, necessarily for you guys, but I've always heard from conversations with people in the subscription model business that the challenge is dropout rates and that people eventually go, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to move on to something different. And therefore, unless you're innovating, unless you're constantly you providing to. delight yeah. and inspiration, you'll lose people at the other end of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Completely, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I've i never dreamt of, of ordering any of these things, like takeaways being delivered or any of that stuff. I mean, I've been really interested in going through the Gusto website because if if you are on your own during the week or something, it's an incredibly efficient way of doing stuff and, and cutting out on food waste, which I hate food waste. I just really hate it. But, you know, often if you're on your own, the number of times I throw away, you know, half a loaf of bread because you just, oh, I can't eat it, I can't get through it. You know and I might put some of it in the freezer but I'll often forget um I and, keep throwing a um,
2: half a loaf of bread because if I threw them in a window they'd go through it it's <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> just different
0: challenge but I just um, um it's it's really interesting and for me it means I I still can cook which is what you were starting which, from the, in first the first place yeah. you know I'm not, somebody's not delivering me something that I don't know what's happened to it you know th- these are ingredients that arrive I get exactly the right amount of ingredients and then I can I can faff about them because i quite like the cooking thing anyway it's a good model
3: I think it, it it's really interesting because it's I getting
2: the delivery right
0: that I think is, is the business
2: challenge. You deliver when people aren't in as well.
3: Yes, um, especially outside of big cities, um, people don't don't care that much. They tell us leave the box behind the bushes, fine. Mm. Um, that seems to be fine. In in bigger cities, we offer morning, evening delivery slots. Um, so it's relatively easy. We deliver seven days a week um, across all of the UK, including little islands and highlands. Um, I'm I'm really interested in this for for
0: for old, older people who who may be struggling a little bit housebound. I, I, I think this model. Yes, there's a company called it, Parsley
2: that's specifically focused on the older segment. I don't really understand their food because, as far as I can tell, you can store in a cupboard. which I don't understand. Uh, as in, it's basically it's a ready it's a ready meal. So it's a completely different end of the market. But the whole Wiltshire Fine Foods market is a 300 million pound business that t- caters purely to like ready meals reinvented i think the older mark in this space is fascinating because they're just, wealthy it's, just, and they want
0: and people forget stuff. them everything's sort of young and you know whatever and, and for me this is this is a great way of still cooking you know getting stuff fresh maybe you only manage to get out once a week or something this is a great way of, of, of getting Rude. stuff delivered to you and it's not expensive the way that you've done it really it's not expensive
2: How's the waste part of it? Because I know, I mean, I remember, I mean, I tried one of these a long time ago and I was sort of appalled by the fact that i got a sort of small plastic thing with a mm. piece of butter in it, and I'm like, I've got butter in my cupboard one. You know, and I understand the model, so you have to have it. But how are you doing on plastic waste and that kind of stuff?
0: Just be, be, before Tim um, um, answers that, they, they do say be, before you order it what you all need. So, for example, this one I've got in front of me says, you're going to need olive oil, you're going to need pepper, you're going to need salt. So it will say if there's some basics that you, that you need at home. So I think that's quite helpful. But some of the um, other
2: guys don't do that, do they? Some of them will deliver everything.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, we deliver most of the things. Um, I can see a future where you opt out of certain ingredients if you have them. Yeah. Um, we are pledging to take 50% of plastic out of the boxes this year alone in one yeah. single year. Um, so we're working incredibly hard on it. We're, we're now working with um, University of Cambridge um, to replicate a study um, by Michigan University that kind of concludes meal kits you know, sent in a box have far, far um, you know, better environmental footprint than supermarkets markets so I, th- I think the model makes sense if you think about delivery we're not shipping um, meals through our own vans we're actually piggybacking on asos amazon parcels being sent to, to wales and scotland we're literally just saying hey here's a gusto box could you please take it thereby we're not creating additional um, emissions so, so i think it works but equally yeah i mean there's a lot more we need to do to work harder mm-hmm
0: well if um you are interested in um there, there will of course um be a, a link from our website um, really interesting um to see how this is going to affect uh, supermarkets and food delivery space whether that's takeaway ingredients or your normal shop um it is it's it's really being exploded mm. isn't it in terms of, of business models and, and um disruption
2: definitely and i think what's interesting is i think the, you know the, the, the supermarkets are being eaten from every angle i mean i can't remember the name of the a laundry detergent delivery company that's, you know, that's come in at leave unilever guys who's running it. You know, there's there's what I think is actually difficult for the supermarket noise is Almost in every category now, there's someone who's gone. Oh, we could do a delivery version of that. We can take, you know, and I think you know that's what's going to be one of the challenges. I think for supermarkets, you cannot
0: do it unless you're doing it at a massive scale, though, because it just it doesn't financially add up. It's but, really hard.
2: But some of them, some of them are easier than others. You know, if you take, yeah. you know, the laundry detergent, which comes through the to the cut with through your letterbox, and you know, mm-hmm. there's the amazing company that does loo paper, which then gives back to um, to places where there aren't toilets and things around the world. Amazingly called cool, Who Gives a um and you know massive australian company have done amazingly i think actually to mm. break into the uk recently so there're lots of, i think there're lots of these people who are who it means the supermarkets are really in quite a lot of trouble i they,
0: think they are in a lot of trouble so final word timo do you want to add anything it's exciting isn't it
3: what's your favorite recipe what's my favorite recipe yeah. um i um I designed all our recipes um, seven years ago myself. Um, they are all now sadly blacklisted um, because we have better, more talented people, <laughs> um, and also because we struggle to source them at scale. Sure. Since I went to the market, Borough yeah. Market in London, which was fun. Um, I guess what I love the most is is just the choice, right? The level of choice. I, I've got a young um, son. I'm busy all the time. I cook. During the week I cook 10-minute meals and then during the weekend I cook, you know, 60-minute fine dining, gusto recipes. It's totally different. Mm, That's the fun of it.
0: Jolly good. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us, Timo Bold from Gusto. Um, You've been listening to the Food Talk Show which, as you know, is syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to my fellow presenters, Ollie Lloyd. Thank you, Ollie. Welcome. Uh, Interesting, Holly, for independence as well, trying to look at how they're going to, how they're going to, I don't know, piggyback or compete or where, you know, the space that they
1: might... I think it's like, um, you know, reading something online or on a kindle versus having a tangible book or mm. magazine in front of you people will still want a bit of an experience
0: and the connection but i think it, as what timo was saying is if if you're doing uh, i'm going to do this during the week because i'm busy at work now these are my my treat times and yeah. I'm, I'm going to spend some more time i'm going to go and see oh i'm going to go look what ham i might buy or yeah you know that's a that's a nice space to occupy
1: yeah, i think, I think what's harder is the
0: i've got to go to Sainsbury's or something because I've got to fill up with all these these things mm. that I need during the week so could be an opportunity. I think so. could be an opportunity. So um, if you want to recommend any future guests someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show and if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts go to foodtalk.co.uk or go on the Speciality Food Magazine website which we've been listening all about today. Uh, we're right on the homepage and so I do hope you have a good week. Bye bye. Thank you